the Able Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Adam Abel, the host of the show and owner of the podcast. And I am joined by my good friend, Mike Pyman. Hello, Mike. How are you? Hi, Adam. I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Looking forward to getting started and getting this podcast in the way. It's been a long time coming. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been talking about it a long time. Um, why don't you start by explaining what the purpose of this podcast actually is? So I uh, want to get this podcast going because I want people to try and live an able lifestyle and try and live the happiest life that they possibly can. And hopefully by the guests we get on and with myself speaking and all the experiences, not only, like I said, myself, but others that come on, we can try and help inspire people to just live a better life, to be honest, and be a lot happier. Good. And are we going to be talking just about mental health, physical health? What are we going to be talking about? Hopefully we'll cover all bases. So health benefits, physical health, mental health, cool experiences everyone's been on. Everyone's got a story. They just don't realise it sometimes. And just by having a conversation with someone openly, you can actually start to discover a lot about yourself. So um, I'd like to say I've got quite a bit of a story, which is why I wanted to get this started. So um, should we uh, get going from... Uh, Absolutely. I, I, I think we just point out as well that uh, both me and Adam uh, have suffered with mental health um, and we're big advocates for uh, men especially speaking out, but not just specifically men. Um, I am a trustee of a charity uh, that helps people with mental health issues, uh, especially young people, which is a charity called ICON. Um, and uh, a lot of the things that me and Adam are going to be talking about might resonate with a lot of you, uh, and we just want you guys to know that you're not alone out there, um, and I think it's time that we get to know our host. <laughs> Absolutely, let's get started. So um, I let's say my story started from last year, so it was uh, on 8th of June 2022, I uh, received a call that would change my life forever. My mum went for a walk and suddenly next thing you know, she, about 10-15 minutes later, she started calling me going, something's wrong. I'm in trouble, I need help, and then just hung up the phone. That must have been awful. Because you have so many things running through your head. You're like, is there a bloke that's harmed her? Has she fallen over and really badly injured herself? So she wasn't even able to communicate what had actually happened? No, she literally just called me and said, something's happening, I'm in trouble, and then phone went dead. How are you supposed to compute straight away what to do next and it's just literally the first thing I did was I got up I screamed for my dad he was um in the bathroom so I literally banged on the door like dad 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 we've got to go we've got to go so, whoa, whoa. so I was like we need to go help my mum's in trouble so literally ran out the front door I did you even know where she was so we knew roughly where she usually walks. We had a rough gauge of where she would have gone. Right. So I don't even remember if we locked the door or not, to be honest. <laughs> I think we were just that like fight or flight response. Yeah, we yeah. just got in the car, drove to where she usually would walk and thankfully sprinted up the hill and found her hobbling. And she said the right side of her leg, the right side of her body, she couldn't feel. It felt like she had a clamp around her head. And... Right. Um, she had previous health problems she had like high blood pressure and um, she suffered with bell palsy which is like stroke like symptoms but with stroke usually long term effects with bell palsy just like sh the short term same sort of stuff so did you see her go through uh, some like a, a reaction to bell palsy yeah yeah so she suffered with bell palsy and with the high blood pressures and a lot of pain sometimes so instantly when she said that I was like she's having a stroke she's having some sort of like neurological issue and your first response is called 999 and straight away onto the phone to the ambulance. I was like, I, uh, I need an ambulance right away. I think my mum's having a stroke or she's having some sort of neurological issue. I said to them, 
she suffered with bell palsy, high blood pressure. I was like, this is pretty serious. And I was like, I told him exactly what she told me. And the first responder said, uh, the person on 999 call said, um, yeah, there should be a category one, we'll get someone right to you. And then over the next hour and a half, um, yeah, mum just deteriorated to a point Jeez. where I had to do CPR on her, which, I mean, I hope no one ever goes through that because well, that you was... you shouldn't ever have to perform CPR on anyone, let alone your own mum. That's pretty horrendous, mate. Yeah, I think I remember like, it was about like 10 past seven at night and it was cold. Thankfully, it was in the summer because oh, I wouldn't imagine what it had been like in the winter. Um, thankfully, I had some neighbours up the road that come out, gave us some blankets and sort of offered their help and support and still talk to them this day and I couldn't be more grateful for them um, and all it was over the next hour and a half I, I remember calling the 999 three times I was like what is going on here my, like my mum's suffering it's, she shouldn't be going through this and the first responder said is they're coming as quick as they can and it's like how long can you keep waiting for an ambulance to come and it's like oh, you don't want to bug them because you know the stress they're under and how much like hard work they've got to do I, I was but, about to say I, I think that's a, a point something to point out is potentially it's not it's, it's not the fault of the NHS or the, no, the ambulance service not at all it's, it's more the fact that it's been used up potentially unnecessarily yeah, like so it's, people calling for reasons that don't require an ambulance so it's like how often can you pester them because something life threatening is going on but at the same time it's you don't, you don't want to best them at the same time, so you got to weigh, weigh it up. But it's like you, you have to do what you can do, mate. Like you, you had to pester if you want to call it that, yeah. Because you, your mum's there and you've got absolutely no idea what's happening. Yes, yeah, so me and my dad were the only ones there, and um, I called my girlfriend at the time she was at work and um, she's in a place with no signal, but anyways, um, we're basically in the field, and I've got my dad standing in the field with mum, keep an eye on her, keep her sort of safe. I stand on the road and I've just been over to dad all the time like give me updates give me updates I'll keep an eye out for the ambulance when it comes so I can wave it down because I mean we're not next to the road we're in a field so and if, if you don't mind me asking where where was this because a lot of the people that are potentially going to be listening to this podcast will be local to Salisbury which is where both you and I live yeah. um, and understanding where you were might make people realised just how dire a situation you were in. We we were literally like up the road from our own house, um, top of Bishop Down Road. There is literally a field that you can go walk into like a track. Um, we were about probably 40, 50 metres up from the uh, path. So there's a few steps that go up into a field, about 40, feet, 40 50 metres down from that is where my mum was. So I'm about 40, 50 metres away from dad. So, so I had to be... Is that the field that links Bishop Down to um sort of saint francis sort yeah, of yeah 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 so going um, over to old Sarum. that top bit where you if you went all the way over you'd be going to the country park yeah yeah so we yeah. were at the right at the bottom yeah i'm with you um so yeah about 40 50 meters away from the road so i had to stand on the road while trying to keep an eye contact with dad to sort of give us updates and just over the next hour and a half just to see my mum deteriorate to the what the point she did was just heartbreaking mm. um it was just one thing after another, after another, um, started throwing up and then it went from throwing up. Uh, well, to be fair, she couldn't even hold her own body weight to start with. Me and dad had to catch her. So was she conscious? Though? She was conscious and she said, I had a, I felt like I had a clamp around my head um, and I couldn't feel the right side of my body. And I had to catch her because she couldn't stand up. 
sat her down and then it went from sitting down to laying down then it went to I'm getting cold then it went to she went started throwing up and then it was from throwing up to throwing up black stuff which obviously means there's nothing left inside there's just pure blood at this point and then it was mum said she couldn't see anything so then it's just like how much damage is currently being done to the point of okay is mum going to survive this and it's like okay if she does survive this what left of my mum is there and then yeah as like I said like an hour and a half so, so was, was that going through your head at the time yeah it was it was it was how how can I help my mum currently but then it was also thinking the back of your head naturally what impact is this what impact is going to have is my life forever you just really don't know and it's like is my mum going to survive this and if she does survive this, like, what effect is this going to have on the rest of both of our lives and our lives as a family? And uh, do you know what? I think that's a really honest answer because naturally, as human beings, we have a, a selfish nature. You you are perfectly looking after yourself. Like yeah. You have to preserve your own life. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I know for a fact that 99% of your concern was towards your mum. 100%. But ultimately, there is that element that goes like shit this this is going to impact me and my life yeah. and and not necessarily just the presence of your mum but also the repercussions of what you've seen happen to her being the person that she is to you i.e your mum and that you love her to pieces yeah it's like am i gonna have to take care of her is dad gonna have to take care of her is she yeah. gonna have to full-time carers is it gonna be mum is mum gonna have any quality of life and i'm like i love that woman to pieces i wouldn't want to see her not have that quality of life to be able to go and do her own things and to go and live her life there's there's a load of sort of things that like when you hear war stories of something tragic happening to someone like stepping on a mine or whatever they always say about it slowing time down and it's seeming like that two minute time between actually stepping on the mine and being in the on a stretcher being carried out feels like a lifetime when in actual fact it's two minutes you were there for an hour and a half by the time <laughs> that i first made the call to that ambulance arriving was about an hour and a half i'd say so you think if someone says that two minutes feels like a lifetime and as, so- and as someone who's been through something absolutely horrendous think it wrong yeah. like but that is a two minute ex- time passing and you did 90 minutes yeah it's a long that's long extreme time. isn't it yeah and we're in a situation where it's literally do or die essentially mm. um worst case scenario i thought mum's having a stroke so what is the best case scenario out of this so if we kind of steer back to that because i'm sure people want they'll be curious to know as to what actually happened to your mum so you wait for an hour and a half for this ambulance to arrive so then what happens when the ambulance does arrive? Well, it, it got to a point before that. Me and Dad were like, do we take her ourselves? Do we? How do you know? But then it's like, what are we going to have if we take what, her up there? And also, what would have happened if you've moved her, you get her to the hospital and they go, why Why have you moved her? Yeah. Like, she you, you've broken this. her neck now or whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, like, You just don't know. And it's... It's that preservation of life, as they say. Mm. It's like keep them as safe as possible. Recovery position until you get a medical professional. Uh, practically, and, but yeah, I got to a point with Dad where we were just making eye contact because I needed to stay on the road, and 
See, mum was throwing up at this point, so I've literally come down to just shorts. I've got nothing else on. It's like eight o'clock at this point, and it's freezing. I'm just in my shorts because I've given all my clothes to my mum to try and keep her warm and to, you know, clear up sort of, sort of some some mess off of her. But I looked over to my dad, and he just shook his head, and that, yeah, I rushed over straight away the second he shook his head, and I seen my mum, and you could just see the purple skin on her face. And it's sort of like you can see the consciousness just going. And at this point, it's like, okay, this is happening, it's time. And that's when I knew I had to do CPR on my mum. So, what was your dad? Did you think your dad was in shock? Well, I said, what do we do in this situation? Because that. But, like, but the, re- the reason I'm asking is because your natural response. So I go back to what I was saying a second ago in terms of that selfish nature always being there in human beings. But you immediately jumped to the conclusion that you had to perform CPR on her from seeing your dad's reaction of shaking his head. So that's what makes me think that your dad must have been in shock because he would have, he was just stood there not knowing what to do. I, I sort of just looked over and I remember going, how is she? And she, he just went, just shook his head. And I sort of ran over and I was like, well, we got to do this. This is happening. Um, and yeah, just I rang 999 while I was doing CPR. I was like, I'm doing CPR on my mum. I need an ambulance now. And I just remember almost like trying not to scream down the f- to, to the phone. Just be like, I need an ambulance. I'm doing CPR. And the operator was like, are you doing CPR? And I was like, yes. So they started counting me through. I was like, one, two, three, four. I was like, great. Thank you for your help. But I was like, I need an ambulance. Yeah. This is preservation of life. And um, so I basically do CPR on my mum. I get her back. Dad would get her in a recovery position and then it'd be straight back into CPR because she's gone unconscious again. And that was going on for 10, 15 minutes, maybe. I don't really know, to be honest with you. Because um, it was hard to sort of know the time limits. Um, but yeah, the ambulance rocked up. Mum's somehow stable at this point, which I still don't understand how. Um, so, sorry, she was stable when? So when the ambulance arrived, she was like conscious. If she was potentially conscious, I don't know. Right, okay. Um, I mean, she was breathing, she was conscious, but it was like, okay, to me she was conscious, but was she conscious? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ambulance rocked up, um, first responder, um, there's this young lady, I think she's like a student, um, fantastic, I couldn't thank her enough. Um, after everything, I, I made sure that she got some sort of commendation or some sort of thank you because she was only learning, but what she did was just fantastic and then I had some guy walk up to my mum touch her on the temple and just go why is this a category one she's absolutely fine and I was like sorry I was performing CPR on her about 10-15 minutes ago because she lost consciousness and she started going purple what do you mean this isn't a category one what do you mean that this how can you say that so uh, sorry I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head around it because like we've spoken about this story multiple times and there's uh, naturally as we go more in depth there's going to be more questions that come from me as to trying to paint the picture and also i think it will help paint the pictures to the people that are listening um how how can she have been to the point where she was vomiting and was she fitting at the same time no so she was just vomiting i can remember uh, she was vomiting and lying on her side and just uh, like yeah was dipping in and out of consciousness effectively okay right so she then got 
what potent stretcher going into the ambulance and one of the paramedics touched her on the temple and said why is this category yeah, one yeah just walked straight up to her just went yep touched her on the head and went why is this a category one so then when that happened obviously as any normal rational human being would be you'd be absolutely fuming that someone said that um I think I was always in a shock of like disbelief. I can't remember if I had much reaction because I was almost taken back by it. I just so, I was like, I don't quite understand. I'm like, am I actually hearing this properly? And and, and the thing is, is like what we, we want to make really, really clear here is this is not a slate on any medical professional at all. No, like I said, there was a student there and I couldn't thank her enough. And she was excellent. She was like a first or second year. I can't really remember the specifics, but she was fantastic. And I'm like, if she can be like that, how come this older guy who has clearly been doing this for quite a few years, more experienced you'd like to think, did be like that? But but I think the thing is, is that I play massive devil's advocate on this. Like, Back to the original point I made of like people wasting time on ambulances, that is probably because of his experience with people wasting time. Potentially, mum was conscious. Like, exactly, I can understand uh, but, that point. But but obviously, there's he, having he, an empathetic he, side, he had, and he hadn't seen the hour and a half that you'd been no. keeping her alive. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, so ultimately, this paramedic end up ends up eating his words quite quickly yeah um so why don't we sort of lead on to that part of the story so um mum got taken to a hospital in an ambulance um dad went with mum i came back home because at this point we we don't know what's what's going on it could be nothing serious realistically i knew straight away that this was something serious um, my girlfriend at the time was with me. I called my best friend as well. Um, my girlfriend went home after because she was a carer. She had to work the next day. This was late at night. Her best friend comes round. And the first thing I said to my best friend, I was like, that's it, mum's gone. I just knew straight away. And my, my best friend was just like, keep the faith, you just don't know. And I just, I turned around and said to her, I was just like, that's it, mum is gone, that's, that's done. And... I said, look, I need to go up to the hospital and find out what's going on. So what made you so convinced? Because with the greatest of respect, like, you've done what you've done, and I appreciate you saw a lot. But a medical professional's effectively told you, not that there's nothing wrong with her, but it's not serious enough to have an ambulance there. Yeah. (laughs) And yet you, you were still convinced that she was gone 100% so, so what what was it what made you feel that way I just had this gut feeling I just knew deep down that I remember standing at the window I was just like this is it I'm never seeing mum again that is that's that mum's gone and I said the same thing to my girlfriend at the time and said to my best friend she came around that's it mum's gone I just knew there was just something deep down something inside that I was like this is it and it was just so such a strange feeling I couldn't quite comprehend it but I just knew I, I can't explain how I knew but I just had this feeling deep down it's like that's the last moment you're going to see your mum and anyways uh, mum was in a queue of eight ambulances with dad and the next thing you know she had a witness seizure um, in the ambulance rushed her through for a CT scan on the brain um, sent the results to Samantha which is a brain specialist um and by this point, I'd already come up to the hospital. And then um, I remember the specialist walking in and it felt like something out of a movie at this point. 
just came in, sat us both down, and you know straight away when you're told to sit down, it's not good news. <laughs> it's like your mum's had a brain aneurysm, it's unsurvivable, and even if we were to try and do surgery by the time we get her to Southampton, there is very little chance that your mum's going to be your mum again. So that is it. And this was, must have been at half 12, one o'clock in the morning. How do you compensate that? How do you, how do you try and wrap your head around that? It just felt like something out of a movie when I was told it's unsurvivable. That's it, mum's gone. And even though hours before I knew that that was it, you just look at me and dad looked at each other and it's just, what do you say? What do you do? How would you, yeah. There's a, there's a silence that comes it was from something like that. Isn't it, it? it was deafening. It is literally a case of you get told, like you say, uns- uh, there's always a word that a doctor says and it, it's either unsurvivable or um, terminal or there's always a, a phrase yeah. that just makes silence. Yeah. And me and Dad was just like, there's got to be something. Like, even if we did operate... You, did you fall into hope? Did you fall into the trap of there's a 1% chance to save her? No, not, See, not I'd, I'd say that's a rarity. I'd say you you were very switched on because from the experience that I've had, which we'll touch on at another time, that's all I did originally was deny, deny and hope. So I find it fascinating that you immediately accepted. I I think it's that fight or flight situation where I think it's also that protection, the self-preservation. If you are a realistic sort of person and you understand situations or try and comprehend them, then when the inevitable does come round or the outcome does happen, you're ready for that, if you can be ready for that situation. So it's funny you mention that. So there's a term that I that I live by that my wife absolutely hates, which is I catastrophize things. Yeah. So effectively, I always think of the worst case. So like, for example, it's like you could almost say it's like being a hypochondriac. So like if you find a mole that doesn't look particularly great, I'll be there and I'll basically diagnose myself with stage four mel- melanoma of the skin. But I know that that's the absolute worst case scenario and anything other than that is good. So you're getting yourself mentally prepared to deal with any situation that exactly. you're thrown into. So yeah, I knew a few hours before that was it, mum's gone. And then when we were told, it's just like, you say about the, the silence, I remember being in the room and it's yeah, it was just silent. And then me and dad were like, well, what's next? What what happens? And they they let us go and see mum. And yeah, just a face of mum going through on that bed. Just something I'll never forget. So, so she was unconscious at this point? She was on life support. Right. So um, with brain aneurysm, um, same sort of thing with cancer. A lot of people have cancer inside them where most people say it's dormant and they just die of natural causes. However, a few people, it will come out and then either kill them or not. So I think it was like brain aneurysm, something like 5% of people have it in them. 
but only in a very select few it comes alive in majority of those that it does come alive kills them so um, what actually is it so what is a brain aneurysm um it's, it's, i don't really know the sort of science behind it but basically just like i think it's where the brain basically gets crushed they sort of described it as it's like drop in motion right okay. they told me throughout the time the specialist told me about it and i i, I just remember he was talking about the brain being dropped and the brain being crushed or something like that so is it a bleed I don't think it's quite a bleed as such. I just, to, to be fair, I'm asking you to recount something when all you were comprehending was the fact that you were losing yeah, your mouth. Yeah, like. yeah. But all I remember is just saying the brain drop, like the brain gets crushed and then stops sending the signals to the heart to beat. So then it sort of made sense to me of when I was doing CPR with my mum, she then regained consciousness because I'm then keeping those pathways open to a heart to beat. Yeah, yeah. Then when I stopped, she went under again. So basically when I was doing CPR, she goes, stop, stop, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Whether or not it was her or not, anyways. She regained consciousness, she'll stop, and then it's back under. So that then makes sense when you say about brain aneurysm with the brain being crushed, stop sending the pathways to the heart to beat. That all then makes sense. So she was on life support because those pathways weren't going to a heart to beat. So that would basically keep they were keeping her alive at that point through just pure life support. Um, oh, man, that's <laughs> can't even like the the thing is is I, I think the big thing to point out is your age because a lot of things happen to people through their lives. So it's a natural progression to lose your parent. Like it, it naturally, yeah. you lose your parent at some point. Circle of life. life, absolutely. But there's, generally speaking, if you took an average, I'd say the average person loses their parent between the when the individual person is between the age of forty and sixty. Yeah, you they, can. They lose their parent yeah. at some point. I mean, it's not a nice situation as it is. No, absolutely not. But it's that again, it's that circle of life, like you expect to outlive your parents. Absolutely. You expect to outlive your grandparents. Absolutely. And that, because that's another thing that we we haven't actually touched on, but we'll we'll come back to that in a sec. Um, my uh, the original point of that bit was, how old were you when this happened? This I was, well, I would have been twenty two because this happened two days before my actual birthday. Yeah. So this happened on the eighth of June. My birthday was on the tenth, so I was only so, twenty two at the time. So isn't it funny that? That's a massive part of the story that you've kind of massively diverted from, which is th- this is not a easy thing to deal with generally anyway, no. let alone your age, let alone the fact that it was two days before your birthday. Like My mum was only 48 in this. Was she? Only 48, which is young. I said it to anyone and they're like, she was young. I was like, I know. But at the same time, I was like, I was lucky I had 22 years with my well, 23 years with my mum. I count my blessings every day that I had that time with her because I have a couple of friends that lost their parent or one of their parents when they were a lot younger. Mm. I had one that lost their dad when they're like 10 or 11. So I was like, oh, even then, I'm still grateful for that. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was tough. Do you find, uh, obviously not in the circumstances that it happened to you, but... So we, again, we'll, we'll touch on on my story later on at a different a different podcast. But like the crux of it being that me and Adam sort of became really close um, when he found out that I'd lost my mum when I was a teenager, um, and sort of not had to see quite 
and be as interactive as him, but I saw quite a lot. Um, you saw like a deterioration over time, which yeah, we'll touch on. So we yeah. kind of resonate in that sense because I saw the deterioration of my mum from, she went for a walk, perfectly herself, to then deteriorate into the point where that CPR had to be applied. So it was going from that, you know, consciousness, human, to then not conscious. It's, uh, and, and the thing is, is like it, the big difference between us, which gives us our individuality in that sense, is yours was so condensed like yours happened in the space of five hours, yeah. whereas mine happened over the space of like three, four months. Yeah, and so I had no, there's no preparation. No, and we asked a specialist about this, and because he even said this might have happened a couple of days beforehand. Like that her first initial spike of that aneurysm might have happened a few days beforehand, but mum just didn't notice. It could have been put down to a headache, like a really bad headache. Hmm. So, or it could have been the one in the field got her. Yeah. But the with the witness seizure she had in the ambulance, that was that was it. So then it's got taken through to see her, and yeah, I walked in. It was just the face. Yeah, it just gets scars me every time. It gets me every time. It's just you don't want to see anyone that you love with a the face you're seeing because I mean, yeah, it's like a serious stroke, really. Imagine imagine someone that's having a stroke and aneurysm is yeah, it's like there's nothing. It's just on life support. Um, and then it's, well, what do you do next? Mum has a lot of family. So what do you do? So anyways, we got taken to a family room and um, me and dad just sat there and just in such almost disbelief, but at the same time, I was like, what would you do next? You have to go and tell mum's parents. You have to go and tell friends, family, and this happened at one o'clock in the morning. So it's like, you can't almost go banging on everyone's doors. I was, I was about to say, did you and your dad give yourself time to process it before that like so it, as in when you had to say something to everyone about what had happened did you wait until the morning or did you start Second, when we found out I think it was like we're like 10-15 minutes but I think I was starting to send text messages out the second we got told within like five minutes must have been we had, I had like five minutes to compensate and then straight away I was like we need to get hold of other people so I text text my girlfriend at the time text three of my best mates I text both my grandparents and mum's best friend who's my godmum um, but then it was like 20 minutes down from that we went in actually trying to process it ourselves because we went in to see mum and then we got taken to the family room it was just me and dad and we are like right sit down process what's happening where, where do we go next and obviously it's one o'clock in the morning so these people ain't answering their phones you ring them you text them they're going to be on silent, let's be real. Um, and to be fair, the staff at the hospital were amazing. They come in and straight away we needed to go tell mum's mum, my nan, um, and her stepdad. And um, Might be a bit of a stupid question, but how was she? So um, basically, because it's such early hours in the morning, they said, look, we'll go on the switchboard, we'll contact the police to go to their house. And I said, look, I'm happy to go do it myself. Yeah. Say happy is yeah, best um, as you can yeah, say it loosely. I, I know what you mean. Um, it's, be it's better than uniform turning up. Yeah, they, they said, look, you're tired. You've been through a lot of trauma. It's been a long day. This better the police handle this. Uh, I think I said to them, was like, you've got three to like two to three hours to for them to get hold of you to say, yeah, this is happening. We'll go there. And I think it got to like three, four o'clock in the morning. I was like, nope, I'm going there because I haven't heard nothing. <laughs> and um, 
It's funny I say this. I drive to my nan and granddad, uh, nan and granddad's, and the police are there, and I rocked up in like a black hoodie, tracksuit bottoms. Like you're gonna go and rob the house? Yeah, and they're like, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "I'm here for the exact same reason you are." <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you as if you're about to pinch something from the house. Yeah, but no. and they were like, "Do you want us to break the news, or are you gonna do it?" And I was like, "Look, it's just please go. I'll sort this." Um, that's yeah. a hell of a burden to take on your shoulders at the age of 22, it's mate. got to be done. That's how I sort of seen it. I've got a job to do. And um, straight away, Nan and Granda were like, you know, they knew something was wrong. And I was like, it come, comes a typical age-old thing of sit down. I need yeah, to tell you something. It's never good news. It's never good news when you're told to sit down. Because if you were standing up and it was good news, they wouldn't need to tell you to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you've just deciphered the whole of the NHS's program and trying to knock people going to shop yeah um, so I sat him down and I said look mum's not surviving this mum's had a brain aneurysm mum's sort of, mum's dying and the first thing that came into their head was this isn't right are you, are you sure this happening like how has this happened so back to what I was saying denial yeah, they couldn't believe it, which is understandable. They like say the denial, and I'm like, yeah, this is happening. I have to do CPR. That's it. So, because don't get me wrong, the, the what you had to experience was awful, but being a new parent myself, if someone has to come and tell you that news, I genuinely can't think of anything worse than that yeah and for like i say for you to take that on to be the one to tell them like you're their grandchild yeah it doesn't like, make sense does it there's a gap there do you know yeah. what i mean like you're if, if anything it should be your mum saying to me oh, your nan's your nan's died yeah not you having to tell your nan that your mum's died yeah. do, you, do you know what i mean yeah. like and and it's it's funny because I'm a lot further down the process than you. Like you refer to your mum as passing, yeah. And I don't know whether or not that's just because you prefer that term or what. But um, I used to do it as passing, and now I'm very matter of fact whenever I talk about death, and it's down to that experience. Yeah. Um, but people deal with it in their own ways. You yeah, might absolutely. refer to it as that as the, for the rest of your life, but yeah. it should be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, everyone copes with trauma. Everyone copes with death differently. There is not one answer. Regardless of what anyone says, mm -hmm. you deal with these things in your own way and there's no such right or wrong. I do believe there is a sort of better way to deal with things. Yep. However, it is all individual. Um, so yeah, I've had to go to the house like three, four o'clock in the morning and tell them, look, your daughter's passing like that's it mum's dead or dying um, and straight away you've almost got to console them as well you got to put yourself to one side and console them because their daughter's daughter's stepdaughter's passing so and then it was taking them up to the hospital to go and see mum and then you just sat in the room just with my nan my step granddad who I saw as my granddad and my dad and it's like now what you sat there, you can't do anything, you can't save your mum, your mum just not changing. And your mum's on life support and that's that. So you just sat about waiting for you don't really know why or what. So <laughs> after what was the worst twelve hours of your life, 
up to date. <laughs> um, the following sort of few days and weeks were made especially difficult by... We've had this discussion before whether or not it's their way of dealing with the grief or whether or not it's just plain mean yeah. <laughs> for less of a um, sort of juvenile term. But yeah, so why don't you sort of run through with us the sort of what happened in the lead up to the funeral um, and your sort of experience with your family members and stuff? Yeah, um, just want to say like I sent out uh, four text messages overnight, one to my girlfriend at the time and one to both three of my best friends and because they were really close to my mum they used to come around to see my mum not me because that's the sort of relationship they have with my mum it's lovely isn't it yeah it was amazing and my best mates would rock up the door and be like oh this is unannounced so yeah I'm here to see your mum it's like great <laughs> you'd, Hi, guys. Walk, you'd walk in from work and your mate would be sat having a cup of tea honestly with your you yeah, joke about yeah, it no, I know that exactly was a thing um, and uh, one of them um, Liana Atkinson I've shouted her name out there it's like my sister the second I told her the second she looked at her phone, she said, I'm on my way. She didn't even tell work she wasn't coming in. Just dropped everything and went straight away, come straight up. And I texted my two best mates at the time, uh, Billy Page, Shay Robinson. And we talk about, deal with grief and trauma in their own way. They just text back going, uh, something like, I'm oh, so sorry to hear this, mate, that's awful. And then went until the afternoon, they went, oh, we're on our way. Yeah. Because it's almost that shock that is this... Is it's, this happening? It's funny, isn't it? Like I, I, I'm going to put something out there now, which is the female response to the male response. Yeah. Right. So there's always like the old age adage of sort of men and women, and the idea that men used to be superior or whatever the sort of concept was around men. Yeah. Yet your best friend, female best friend, yeah, her first reaction was to support you. Yeah, straight away. For like no questions asked, no consequence thought. It was just, I'm getting there to be there for him. And a girlfriend at the time, um, she didn't come up straight away because she was working in the morning. She's a carer. So she thought, do I leave work and leave these old people or do I come at the hospital? And my best friend said to her, like, not being funny, but you need to be at the hospital. That is that. There's no questions asked. Like, you have to leave work. That's You have to be there. You can't not be there. And... This will stem later down the line when we talk about this later in the podcast. But yeah, it's sort of, there was something there. Okay. But yeah, my best friend dropped everything like that. It was straight there. And then the two boys straight away come up. And then over the next three and a half days in ICU, they didn't leave me aside. They didn't, did not leave my side for a second. I mean, that's uh, some pretty good friends. Yeah. And their partners. Um, all came up as well and I said this happened two days before my birthday and um, we were told that that we're waiting for mum's like sodium levels to drop where they could then perform an end of life test so they test like reflexes to test a brain's dead basically to class completely dead so she was supposed to pass on my birthday sorry just just to burn there (laughs) we've we've brushed over that quite quite (laughs) dramatically that's quite a traumatic thing to have to watch as well well so this this is a thing um yeah mum was supposed to pass on my birthday because that's when they expected her levels to come correct for them to perform that 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 age-old thing of 
There's something more in this world. Mum was supposed to pass away on my birthday. She passed the day after my birthday. I mean, I'm just going to leave that there silent for a second because that that told me a lot that mum held on for that time. Um, we We sort of connected as well over the fact that everything happens for a reason and the utter belief in everything happening for a reason. Now, I am in a situation where I think I know what the reason I went through that was. Um, um, and I don't think you're there yet. Like, it's, it's, it's I think I'm getting there. Getting and I do there. believe in this, everything happens for a reason. This is something I want to lean on. The more episodes I do, the more people I talk to, this is something I will keep coming back to because I do believe that Everything does happen for a reason, for a greater purpose, regardless how bad or good it is. Um, a priest I spoke to after, it's sort of like, this is the sort of journey of life. This is your chapter. This is your book. Um, but yeah, over the next couple of days, we had mum's best friends. We had mum's hairdresser. We had um, my grandparents, um, my best friends, my god mum, all come up and spend time with us. And a couple of them were like, keep the keep the hope you know, keep your chin up. This you never know. She could pull through, and I was like, "No, that's that's that. That's this is mum's gone." I was like, "Please stop telling me that. Keep the hope because I know this is it." And yeah. um, the one thing I'm glad with a specialist up there, and I thank him for this. I said to him, "Look, does anything change in this situation? If I got mum to the hospital within two minutes, within five hours." ambulance comes quicker does anything change right now and please do not lie to me because i just want the honest truth I said no unfortunately this was a freak accident and this is one of those things the brain aneurysm comes alive and unfortunately your mum was one of the unlucky ones and i just sat around and said thank you that's all i needed to hear um it and and with the, with the greatest respect it's actually quite lucky that you got that answer because I don't get me wrong, I don't think he was going to turn around and be like, "It was all your fault." Yeah. But, but imagine like if he did say, well, a that, well, "Well, actually, if she'd got here an hour earlier, like there could have been a chance." Yeah, yeah. it's um, comforting in a weird roundabout yeah, way because there's nothing more you could have done. No, which comes back into the fact of everything happens for a reason. Like there, there was no way that was it. Yeah, with the moment she went down in that field, that was, was the day that she was well died as in essence in essence yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah i spent three and a half days in icu it's my birthday on the friday and um all my best mates in the room mum's best friends and i turned around to them and went bearing in mind we're in a family room which is literally meters away from mum's icu bed and icu room i turned around and went this is the best day ever and they all looked at me and went what your mum is in the other room dying i went but if you look at this from a bigger picture all us loved ones are sat in one room right now, don't have to be saying anything, just stopping and enjoying each other's company. How rare is this? You don't do it enough in life. You don't get your loved ones around and just stop and do nothing. There's always something going on in life. I went, in a weirdest possible way, this is the best day ever because I get to celebrate my birthday with all my loved ones. I went, my mum was in the next door as well. I was like, my mum is here in some strange way, whatever you're going to look at it. Um, but... <laughs> I I strongly believe that death brings the truest form of love. And that sounds really backwards, but ultimately when someone dies or is dying, you 
have a community that surrounds you and it shows you who really matters. Um, yeah. it, and It brings out the best and the worst in people and you find 100%. out exactly who everyone is, which will lead straight into the next point. Straight onto my next point. Um, yeah, through this sort of time, you'd expect everyone to be there to make your life as easy as possible through this horrendous time. And so mum had two sisters. Um, I won't name them. One that was sort of disowned from the, by the family at quite a young age, so no one really spoke to her. And then mum had another sister who they fell out all the time. They hated each other. They kept reconnecting because of me and my cousin. We're like six weeks apart and sort of they tried to keep us cousins together and trying to keep the family at peace. But no matter how many times they tried to reconnect and rekindle, they fell out. And my mum was the youngest of the three. And it was evident that she was probably the one that was mistreated the most. She'd get all the hand-me-downs. And because she was the youngest, it felt like she was not... It's, it's harsh to say not cared about, because that's not true. But you can say she wasn't cared as much for. Like, no matter what happened, even if mum didn't do something, it would the blame would always try and be put on mum. And it's just like... We went around to my grandparents one day and they even forgot her birthday. It's like, that's your daughter, you can't forget her birthday. Yeah. And um, anyways, when I went up and told my grandparents about what had happened, the f- mum used to talk about a funeral and if she was on a deathbed before she died. She just found some sort of comfort or just some, just a chat used to have so some strange reason. And she said, if I'm on that deathbed or I'm at a funeral, the sister I do not get on with, her and her family, they're not welcome. And she made that clear because it was just bad blood between them. And she made it very, very clear. Other than the fact of my grandparents said, is this, did this happen? Is this real? Is this really happening? The next question was followed of, what about your mum's sister? What about your auntie? She had out in the hospital to see her. Straight away it defaulted. And it's just like, okay, you've just asked me, is this really happening? And the first thing you default to is about my auntie, who my mum doesn't like. And we're in the hospital as well. And before mum's class is clinically dead, I remember my nan saying, is um, your mum's sister able to come to the funeral? I said, she's not even dead yet. The funeral's not even in mind yet because she's still living in that room because she's not been classed as clinically dead. And straight away, it was all. It was always every 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 chance. Can she come up? Can she come up? Can your cousin come up? You can just allow that to happen. Doesn't that speak volumes on the fact that? And and I don't necessarily disagree with the decision not to let her up. But. I imagine she wanted to come up that so she could make peace in that situation. But is it fair that your mum wasn't in a place to be able to receive and recognise that? And in effect, it'd be your auntie doing it for her own Good. peace of mind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If they really cared, they would have done this a long time before totally agree. this event happened. A person dying or going through something traumatic... You shouldn't have to make up with someone because of that. 
like make peace before this happens. And I think that I think that's a massive thing to point out to everyone is I was saying about like death bringing out the love and unconditional love. Why do you have to wait for that moment? Why do you have to wait for something horrendous to happen before you show that level of love and gratitude and care for one another? Do it anyway. We are not granted every day. Hundred, literally. We're, like, not, we're not granted every day. We walk out that door. We are lucky to make it home. I, I'm like, bit, sorry to bring this up, and like, it's, it's ultimately like something that's going to be happening right here, right now. Like on my way over here, um, uh, the traffic was stopped along Devizes Road because someone had been knocked off the motorbike. Exactly that. We're not granted next day. You could hit by a bus. You could, like I said, my mum had a brain aneurysm when she went for a walk. You don't expect these things. So it was something that come off the back of this. It was always like, when you leave someone, tell them you love them. It's like me and my friends now, every time we say goodbye, we give each other a hug. And it's like we always tell each other good things about each other now. We always praise each other. We always tell each other good things because, like I said, we're not granted every day. Um... Anyways, I've released a sort of funeral date on my Facebook because mum was loved. I know everyone says when mum, when people pass, like they're the nicest, kind, caring people in the world. You hear it, regardless <laughs> the, the, of what the they, bullshit comes out. Regardless of what that person's done in their life, they're the nicest, kindest, caring. Okay, okay. Let's just forget ever all their sins, as you call it. Um, my mum was the most. She was an angel. I always say never sinned. Regardless of how she was treated, she'd always be nice. Hmm. She was just such a loving person. And like I said, my mates just come around to see her, to talk to her, because she just gave that unconditional love to them. And what summed up my mum was, um, <laughs> it was my birthday at the ICU, and my dad gave me my gifts that mum got me. And before this, I wore this really tacky chain from Boohoo Man. It's like eight quid. It looked horrendous. And mum was like, for your birthday, I'll get you a proper chain. I was like, no, no, because that'll be my only gift because it'd be really expensive. That gives me my gifts. You know, exactly what's in there. It's a brand new, really expensive chain. And the first thing that popped into my head was, regardless of how expensive this is, like I, there's no gift in this world that I could get that would mean as much as to have my mum with me on my birthday. And like, it really sent... like come to me that I was like regardless of like Christmas birthdays it's not what you get present wise it's who you have around you like a touch of my friends being around me on my birthday it's the best day ever because they're there we're all together and I I even said I was lucky to spend my birthday with my mum even though she was on her deathbed in ICU I felt lucky and yeah she bought me this chain and just I just remember floods of tears every time I talk about it just end up crying <laughs> um but yeah i released a funeral day on facebook and straight away my cousin texted me go my mum's coming and i was like you know that that shouldn't be happening you know how strongly my mum felt that like, I, I can't stop i couldn't stop people coming to you can't stop people going to a funeral you can't um I was like, Look, in, if you... in hindsight do you do you think releasing the funeral on facebook might have been a mistake Potentially, but um, end of the day, I didn't fall out of my grandparents, so I'd have had to tell my grandparents who who would have told them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'd like, regardless, they'd have found out the, a way. The the only reason I ask is because by putting it on Facebook, you're kind of saying, 
almost like anyone's welcome. No, I know. Uh, but then saying that they're not, like, don't get me wrong. I, I knew regardless of where I put it or who I told they were going to exactly. find out. So I was like, well, it's just, you know, I might as well try and get more people that cared about mum. It, it seems bizarre that he messaged you to tell you that she was coming anyway. Yeah. Like, but if it was me, I would have just turned up anyway. Turned up, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why would you give the pre-warning? I know. Anyways, um, he texted me. I was like, just, I was like, please just respect my mum's wishes. She's not coming. And he went, we'll be there. And I was like, honestly, if if I actually meant anything to you and my mum meant anything to you, you would not take your mum to my mum's funeral. And then I was on the phone to my nan, who then started saying, you're an embarrassment to the family. Um, you, you are going to learn a lesson one day and you need to grow up. Because of me saying to my cousin and them that my auntie and my uncle and my cousin are not welcome at the funeral because of how badly and how much they mistreated my mum over the years. And regardless of how much they did that, my mum always turned around and was trying to be nice and tried to make up and was always a nice person about it. And yeah, now I started hurling abuse, saying I was an embarrassment to the family, I need to learn to grow up and life's going to hit me hard one day. One like, day? I was like, one day? You're burying your mum two days later yeah, and it's going to hit you well one day? I know, day. I was like... I was literally performing CPR on your daughter to keep her alive. <laughs> Life is going to, like, I'm in embarrassment. And I was like, I need to learn a lesson or two and grow up. And I was the one that came to your door at three o'clock in the morning to tell you that your daughter is passing away. And I'm the one that needs to grow up. Anyways, they turn up to the funeral. I mean, we couldn't stop them. We requested they didn't turn up, but we couldn't stop them. But the, to be fair, the, the funeral director's... They put them in like a back room because they understood there was sort of bad blood between the family. I told my um, my auntie who was disowned by the family from young because um, she got into like an abusive relationship basically. Long story short, I told her about it because uh, funnily enough, my mum was going to make up with her before she passed away. They were planning on meeting or something like that. So I went and told her and she was quite paranoid about coming to the funeral just in case the, the bad sister, as I call her, um, was going to turn up and cause trouble. And she's like, I don't want to cause trouble with your mum's funeral. And that's from the supposedly devil child of the family. I was about to family. say, like, by the sounds of it, she's the only member of your mum's side of the family that actually considered everyone else's feelings yeah. in that moment and, and not just her own. And this was supposed to be the daughter that was disowned from the family because she went and got like married or moved away with this so-called abusive But what, what guy. a strange thing to... If you if your daughter goes and marries... We get on a massive tangent. Uh, yeah. But if your daughter goes and marries someone who's abusive... You don't your way of family. De- your way of dealing with it is just to go, oh, that's them disowned then. Yeah. It makes not support sense. them, not, not like, trying to help them. Not trying to drag them out. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I told her and she's like, I want to come. I just don't want to call it to cause a raucous. And anyways, the, the bad sisters, I'll call her. Um, they're in the back, the back of the room and um, they didn't cause any trouble, to be fair. And funeral day, I was, yeah, it was, um, we all wore bright colours. What uh, did you wear? I wore like a purple suit. Love it. I was, yeah, I was like, oh, we got to go. Well, I saw from LEG. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, literally, the brightest colours. You couldn't even believe it. It was like a lilac. It was like a lilac sort of purple. <laughs> it was, yeah, it went proper all out. I and um, I was like, uh, I made sure I carried the coffin in. I was like. So let's, let's pause there on that one. How did you find that? I, for, to me, there was no doubt in the back of my mind that I wasn't going to do that. 
so the word I would use is honour. Yeah, I think you'd probably be correct in saying that. Because it's it's something as a son that you expect to happen one day. Yeah. You know that at some point that is your duty, if you like. Yeah, it is circle to, of life, as we to, say. To, to, to do that. And I, I I think there is a lot of honour in it because it's it's not an easy thing to do. No. It's a very definite thing that you're doing. Like do you know what I mean? You're yeah. carrying her on your shoulder. Yeah. Like it's it's a very soul defining moment. But for me there was no doubt in the back of my mind that that was happening. Like I am doing this regardless of emotions, like I'm getting this done because I felt that was the right thing to do. I felt it was a just thing to do. And it, 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 like, it amazes me because like, I, have, I have my brother. So me and my brother were side by side. So we went arm under yeah. arm over it. So me and my dad. So it was you and your dad. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. I was, I was about to say, because like I found great comfort in having my brother there. Yeah. It's, it's like during carrying the coffin and cry as such because I feel like I had a duty 100%. to do. 100%. I totally get I, I that. Wasn't, I wasn't emotional. I was what were your like, legs like? I felt like... Well, you were right. right. I, I was wobbly. Right. My knees were my knees were wobbly. I was a bit nervous beforehand because I was like, I don't want to drop this. Like, how <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> how embarrassing! How embarrassing would this be, sort of thing? But the second I got on my shoulders, I was like, okay. I mean, we have four massive guys behind us, so that like, they could take <laughs> propping it up. <laughs> they could take most of the weight. Um, they're like six foot four, so honestly, is it like a down angle? <laughs> <laughs> um no i was the second i got on my shoulders i was like okay game time let's go let's get this yeah. done because it needs to be done and then uh, that day it was all about giving the greatest woman that's ever lived in my eyes um the greatest send-off that she deserves and the day was about her and i made a video that for dad i made a video for me and I asked a few friends to say a few things, like text it over to me, and I put it into a video of a slideshow with their words on just to... I was like, she deserves a great send-off. So yeah, we made two personalised videos for her. So my dad sent me like 25, 30 photos, and I put it together some music. And then, um, yeah, I made a, a special one for her friends, family. Um, and then I did a um, eulogy. And just, yeah. It, um, How did you find the eulogy? I was fine to well. It it was okay because I again it's that thing of I knew I had to do it. Yeah. It hit me hard when I started talking about future things that Mum's not going to be part of. Yeah, I totally get that. Um. It took me like three or four attempts to write. It just fell together because I I wrote it once, deleted it, wrote it again, <laughs> deleted it, wrote it again, and then took parts of that, and then it came together like the fourth attempt, but. My grandparents, not the ones that I fell out with, um, my grandparents' dad's side used to have a money tin. Yeah. And uh, every week when I go around there, I get my pocket money. And I always just say, oh, mum's going to do that for my kids when I'm older. Obviously, mum's not going to be, be there to do that. And there I get married. Like, it still cuts me up now. Um, I know mum would be a life of the party because that's just who mum is. She'd always be there to entertain and to make everyone smile and saying that in front of everyone really got me teary and that's where I had to power through and really dig deep so I'm going to ask quite a 
personal question about that day. So I, I want you to answer as honestly as possible. Yeah. Did you cry much? Bar the eulogy, because I think talking about it makes it very real. Did you cry much on the day? No. 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 And it was only the watching the slideshow. Yep. But it was almost like a happy tears as well. 100%. So I I totally believe that you gave her the absolute correct send-off yeah. because of that. Ultimately, like anyone, anyone that says, right, that all they want when they die is for people to just be happy. It's a bit <laughs> absolute bullshit. I'm calling you on that. Yeah. But what an amazing thing that you can do, that you can sit there reflect on her life, cry about the fact that she's not going to be here for the future, cry with happy tears of what she gave you in the past, and then celebrate Yeah, it's like the 48 years of her life. The request was everyone wears happy colours because this is who mum was and we all did a, a drink of rum after because that's what she drank and like we all celebrated her life and how amazing she was. So my point being, you should be exceptionally proud of how much crap you had to deal with, not only with what happened to her, but the repercussions of what happened to her after with her her family. Like, to be able to still give her the send-off that she wanted, that is a moment that you should be eternally proud and should reflect your character for the rest of your life thank you that does mean the world to hear that from you to be fair um but what sort of sums up my grandparents and that sort of side of the family is i didn't tell dad till day after the funeral um but my granddad uploaded a his changed his profile picture on facebook and it was of my nan him and the sort of bad sister smiling and laughing together in their garden and it's on the day on the day of the funeral mines, they all went back to my nan's <laughs> after with sort of their own little party. And they changed their profile picture to my grandparents and the, the bad sister as I call it. Is it isn't this just the the like uh, horror of social media though? Yeah. And I, I told my dad about this the day after because I was like, this is mum's day, let's I just put it in the pocket. Yeah, I, I screenshotted it, put it in my pocket, forget about it, do it tomorrow. I told my dad and he sent it to my granddad and he went just reflecting on how we were made to feel on the day of the funeral. Good. I'm glad he called her out on it, or him out on it. Sorry. Yeah, and I, I was just like, oh, sorry? I was like, you're the reason that you were in this back room because of your actions prior. Yeah, yeah. You're not prioritising the daughter that's passed. It's, you're prioritising the daughter that's still here. Yeah. And you're telling us that we're the bad people that made you feel bad during the daughter's funeral. It, it it just comes back to that whole thing of like what should you why why should you be allowed to reconcile your horrendous behaviour just because that person's gonna die? Yeah, and like some people might disagree that I I shouldn't be I should be making these decisions and whatnot. No, but I, at the I, end of the day, well, this person we're talking about was my mum and what she wanted. She absolutely hundred percent. Me and my dad knew we'd done right after because we, when we were clearing out our stuff after, we found a note that she had written not long before talking about if it was her funeral, mm-hmm. what would her request be? Isn't that strange? 
yeah, someone said to me the other day about I was talking and they were like, do you think your mum knew this was coming? And she only had like a bad mental, a really bad mental health day one night where she couldn't sleep and she had a few like health blips and whatnot. Like, yeah. so she just got into a really bad sort of state one night and she wrote this out, I think just to try and calm her down and to, I don't know. Anyways, it was like, I want to be, I want everyone to celebrate like happy colours. Like my dad's this amazing person. I'm this amazing person. Her best friend of like 40 years couldn't be grateful. I won't share too many more details, but um, I want to be buried in like a peaceful private place. And this person's not allowed at my funeral. <laughs> like we got it all spot on. And after me and dad just went, <sighs> peace. Because we met those demands demands yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but like it's that's not an easy thing to do man like there's going to be people that listen to this that won't agree with mine and your mentality in terms of not letting that sister come yeah because people believe that like you should be allowed that moment to to heal yourself but i massively argue that like the only reason she was the only reason she was doing that is because she was dying yeah. But we're all dying. Yeah. We, we just don't know when it's going to be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so if you cared that much, you would make the conscious effort and decision to make up with that absolutely. person prior to our final day. Yeah. Because why, why but, would you leave why would you leave it for 20 30 years down the line? Why would you wait? Because you you're not granted that 30 years. Why, why does why does the fact that she's dying make a difference to that situation in terms of her feeling towards her. It was just a sort of, like you say earlier, the piece for that person that's still alive. Yeah. I'm doing this to make myself feel better because there's no absolutely no way you cared that much. If you cared that much, you would have done it prior to this event happening. And sure, granted, no one could see this coming because this was a freak accident, as they call it. But you make up with the person way before there's so many opportunities this this they tried to make up over and over and over and over again so it wasn't like there wasn't opportunities to make up yeah and even when me and my cousin were both born they tried then and i mean that was yeah within 22 years ago as such at the it, time it just gets to that point doesn't it where like what would she have gained what did yeah. she what did she gain from from that situation like ultimately if like i love my brother's pieces but and I'd be distraught if he turned around and said he didn't want me to go to his funeral. But I'd respect that. Do, yeah, you do, would. Do, do, you know, do you know what I mean? That day is about that person. Absolutely. And past. Like, like, I, I'd, I don't. I, I would literally sit at home and cry all day. Yeah, understandably, and I, I, I would like expect her to do that as well. But end of the day, like the person's funeral, the only person that matters there is that person that's passed because we should be celebrating that person for the life that they've lived yeah. who they are and who they've created and who they've helped yeah man right um, so yeah that was a sort of funeral so kind of moving into a more positive light now yeah we don't want this podcast to be <laughs> doom and gloom and oh, I've had such poor things happen to me like we want to try and inspire people and help people and to get through this and to get moving to a able lifestyle as we call it. it it's more the fact that by highlighting just what Adam's been through, it now leads very much into the things that are resulting as part of that. Now, we we touched on the fact that everything happens for a reason. It's a core belief of both mine and Adam's that everything does happen for a reason. But finding out what that reason is, is actually, I'd argue, the really exciting thing. 
and Adam's in a really <laughs> strange position where I don't think he's there yet, but is trying to make the best of every situation that he finds himself in. And so we're going to touch now and on um, on what it is that has has come up afterwards. So you've had the funeral, you've had the bad situations with her family. Yeah. What what was the point where things started taking a turn where you could see a bit of positivity? It gave me a new lease of life. It gave me a brand new perspective. Perspective is everything. What was that perspective? That every day is not granted. Every day is a blessing. Every day is an opportunity. Are you religious? No. Well, I'm I'm very much at the minute in between, but leaning towards religious. But prior to all this, my grandma was very religious. Really? So this is this has almost pushed you more towards religion. Yeah, because I okay. when I lost my grandparents a few years ago from long story short cancer, I watched them both pass away in hospital nineteen. Um I was very much like I felt the victim. I felt like, why is God doing this to me? If he really cared for me, he wouldn't be putting me through this trauma and I wouldn't have lost my grandparents and you had that victim mentality and that victim mindset. So that very much after that stirred me away from religion. But after all this, when we talk about the everything happens for a reason, the more I've lent into that, the more good things have come from it. Yeah, man. And the more I've tried to fight it, the the good things stop coming. So when I start leaning into it more, it just spirals. And like, honestly, the worst thing can happen nowadays or the smallest thing could happen that's bad. I'm just like, this has happened because... Like for every storm, there comes a rainbow. That's one of my favourite sayings. And I believe it now because it really does happen. If you start leaning to this, everything happens for a reason, regardless how good or bad like bad it is, something better is on the horizon. And honestly, I cannot stress that enough because the more I've started doing it, the more my life has started to take off since that. It's I, I kind of put it down to like picking your battles. And when I say that, I mean put your energy into things that truly matter. So don't resist things that aren't important. Don't fight the things that are really insignificant. Irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Because ultimately, the more... like I always think about it, if you put weight on your legs, right, the more resistance you put up against that, the more damage that causes to you. I see it sort of as like you've got a shopping bag and your shopping bag is your stress. Yeah, that's so, a great, a great yeah, analogy. So like when you have a shopping bag, it's going to snap at one point if you put too many things in it. So like you have all this stress, we'll say your can of beans is work and your, you know, I don't know, mangoes is like friendships and I don't know, something something really... Mangoes mild. and beans? What are you I cooking, mate? <laughs> I don't know. Just anyways, you got to, you get to the point where if you have too much stress, too many things in your shopping basket or shopping bag sorry your bag is going to snap yep. so then before that happens you need to go through your life bag and take out the things that really aren't important in this sort of big picture to stop that bag from snapping which is your mental health from like breaking See, what, breakdown. what an analogy I've never I've never heard that and I really like that because I would then go a step further and say the better you get at that you turn into a bag for life and then it means <laughs> that you're not you're not restrained um uh, but yeah so anyway back to the original point which is why don't you tell the listeners what positive things 
you have turned now to do? Well, um, I mean, four weeks after my mum passed, um, I spoke in front of 700 people. Um, and where was that? Uh, that was at the Phoenix Stars end of year showcase. So um, this is someone who I'm going to shout out and reference all the time because I love them to bits and they've given me so many opportunities. I'll never be so grateful for them because they have honestly helped me grow as a person massively but anyways every year uh, phoenix stars are a cheerleading company and now they have their own gymnastic unit as well so they've branched into gymnastics anyways um every year they showcase to friends and family of phoenix stars and the people of salisbury um their cheerleading abilities and their routines so they host this end of year showcase and um one year they asked me to MC it host it sort of like a and in deck but Demo O'Leary sort of style on my own and I mean I've done it four years now so clearly he must be doing something right but yeah four weeks after mum passed um hosted that and what was crazy is four weeks prior to this all this stuff had happened and I went in front of all those people and unless the ones who were there knew me no one would have known what I've just been through four weeks prior so yeah you just don't know what people are going through. Like I said, I was four weeks after mum's passed, I was talking in front of 700 people and only a few of those around me would have actually known the severity of what's gone on. Um, and after that, I went and climbed the O2. I walked from Salisbury to Stonehenge. I went on a mad UK trip with my dad and my girlfriend at the time where we visited like 12, 13 UK cities in seven, eight days, travelled 1,400 miles. And woke up 6am, went to bed at 10 and repeat every day for seven, eight days. <laughs> you do it because you know how short life is. And I've done stuff like Ninja Warrior, um, going to the place that is not on the TV, as you see. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just go and just live your life on a Brighton, went to loads of other places and just sort of that care, that worrying about what people think about you, the, should I? Uh, it's a bit of a risk. Oh, I'm not sure. Just go and do it. I went back to Swindon Town Women to coach there on a part-time basis. Um, yeah, it's just... You used to start a living life and give you a new lease of life. It was amazing. And, yeah, it's such a bad thing that happened. So much positive came from it. So much positive came from it. And someone asked me, like, would you change it? I was like, well, of course I'd love my mum to be here, but you wouldn't change it because of what it's given you and what it's taught you. And at yeah, such man. a young age as well. It's, I'm only 24 and I'm I'm lucky in a weird way that this has happened because of what it's given me. It's funny, isn't it? Like when people ask that question of would you, would you change it? And it's such a strange thing that people would ask that question in the first place. Yeah. Like it's, it's, quite, it's, it's quite a weird <laughs> thing to ask, isn't it? But um, I don't think I would. I I wouldn't like ultimately I, I know we'll come on to my story another time but like I would never have met my wife and had my son and my stepdaughter had that not happened yeah so you weigh it up uh, what, what like don't, and uh, it sounds awful yeah because I mean we, we both would love our mums to be with us today like this is no brainer but, but in essence we're saying nah sod that we'll, uh, we'll just have the life we've got instead yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah it is, it is a really strange question it, it, <laughs> did you deal with it with humour 
Yeah, it's um, we relate. Uh, like I said, a couple, I had a couple of friends who unfortunately have lost a parent. Like we can joke about it because we've been through that, and it's a cope, <laughs> it's a coping mechanism. Let's be real. Like if you have you ever but, joked about it with someone who hasn't had it? Um, yeah, have you and seen it's just their a reaction? response is just like what <laughs> crazy. Um, but if you go through that with someone else, then I mean they understand. Regardless of what happens with our big or small it is if something bad's up you laugh about it it makes you feel a little bit better about it so i mean if you can understand it from a small perspective if you've been through something i don't like to compare traumas but nowhere near as much as what i've been through as such if you can joke about that imagine what the impact it is for someone like me that's been through this absolutely um yeah the, the least life gave me was incredible like i say every day is a blessing Got me and my dad telling each other each day that we love each other. What was your relationship with your dad like before all that happened? Um, we would like laugh and joke, but it'd be like man to man, sort of nut up, shut up. Okay. Um, so is your dad quite a stereotypical bloke? Old school. I mean, yeah. his dad um, passed away from bone marrow cancer. Right. A week before he passed away, had two fractured arms, <laughs> took a door for his hinges to repair it just because he needed repairing. Yeah. And he's in um, hospice, had two broken legs, and he tried to get out of bed. And my mum at the time was like, what are you doing? What you got two fractured arms, two broken legs? It's like, someone else is in the worst position than I am. Like, that's what he's been brought up with. Yeah. So if that was his dad, that's who he is. See, there's there's something to be said for that kind of culture of that perception that someone's always got it worse than you. Because I do think that gave people a lot of strength. Yeah. But I think the middle ground that we're starting to come to now... Is a lot better. Yeah, it, it's it's that recognition that, yeah, okay, someone has got it worse than me. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that your situation isn't shit. No, it's like, it's good to feel emotion, it's okay to be sad, but it doesn't mean that life has to stop. You still need to carry yeah, on man. doing things. But at the same time, you need, like you say, you need to recognise what you've been through mm. and be like, okay, it's fine to be sad. Absolutely, 100%. But don't dwell in it for six months, a year, two years, ten years. Like, yeah, sure, man. you're still going to be sad regardless. You, you know, your mum's passed even ten years later. But you don't dwell for ten years. you still got to carry on. You, you have to take from the both of us, from our own mistakes with it, that it's worth just talking about it as early as possible. The, the longer you withhold that emotion, that feeling... It makes it worse. So literally, if you if you are able to, the moment you feel that emotion, allow yourself to feel it, and then talk about it. And that's a lot easier said than done. Whether it be a family member, a friend, a professional, like I'm still in counselling now and it's been 17 months. Counselling works for me. I'm not saying it works for everyone because it doesn't. Everyone has their own therapies and coping mechanisms and support, but... Talk to somebody, please, because if you don't and you nut up and shut up and you hold it to yourself, you're all you're gonna be you're gonna break someone. Whether it be ten years, ten months, ten weeks, you're gonna break. And all you're doing is withholding the inevitable. And all you're doing is affecting your future relationships with your family, your future family to come your future experiences all you're doing is affecting that 
and it's almost selfish in some sort of way. It sounds bad for me to say it, but if you hold your own grudges and hold your own mishaps and sadness, you are being selfish massively. So that actually leads us on to kind of the next point, which you refer to grudges. Now, I wouldn't necessarily refer to your opinion of your dad as a grudge, but there was some a certain situation that happened after that led to quite a strain in your relationship yeah, with your dad. Absolutely. So why don't you explain to the listeners what, what happened there? Well, you say say about everything happened for a reason. My dad bumped into a woman who is now his girlfriend when I was gonna go see my mum at the funeral directors. Mm. So I was gonna go see my mum in the coffin and you and I'm not by any means trying to um bend the truth or anything do you believe that that was the genuine coincidence it was like they worked together five years prior so they already knew okay. each other and it was literally a it wasn't like a John and meet sort of thing it was a she was picking the kids up from school uh, okay. and they literally bumped cool. into each other as I was going to go see as we were going to go see my mum at the funeral directors it's not great timing no though, it's, it? if there's ever bad timing <laughs> that is that um, and uh, this must have been about three weeks after but then look I'm just going to put this out there right now his new girlfriend and family are amazing. They're the nicest people. It is just an awkward situation that we have found ourselves in. So it's nothing against them at all when I talk about this. Mm-hmm. However, this is my experience and I'm just going to say it. Absolutely. Um, she'd start arriving at the house without me knowing. And then my dad would be going out like to 11 o'clock at night and he'd just always be gone. And like he'd be going to go seeing her. But yeah, it, like he just disappear and it's just I'd be in the house on my own or she'd be here without me knowing. And it was because my dad would not tell me what was going on. And I even called him out on it one at one point. I went, mate, what's going on? Who is this woman? Is this your new girlfriend? He went, no, no, it's not. I was like, why are you seeing her all the time? And then literally, must have been a week or two later, he sent me there and went, yeah, we're, we're more than just friends. See, it's, it's difficult because your dad was grieving. Yeah, I like. I'm not gonna hold this against them because everyone deals with trauma and loss in yeah. their own way. So I'm not gonna hold that against them. And and you'd be surprised how many people, when that sort of thing happens, do find like especially men find comfort in in a woman. Yeah, that that gives them attention and 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 loves them I'm because not, that's what they feel like they're missing. Not being funny, I mean? but my mum and dad were together for like 27 years. It's already known. Like they did everything together and. You know, it's a lonely world without men. Are, men are pathetic, mate. Yeah. <laughs> men need women. Women don't need men. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it really tore us apart at times and made us clash. And like, I take out on this woman, and like, I can only apologise for that now. By the way, and well, I have apologised to her before, but like, she that she would have had a, I've had a shower in, and she had like her own like towels. So like, she came round once, and I purposely threw the towels on the floor. Like, how pathetic and petty is that? Because I was just so enraged. <laughs> what, what shit way to get back I to know, I was like, But I was like, whatever it done, I was just like, I'd be here watching the football and she, like, they'd be there and I'm like, oh, just leave me watch the football, go away. Um, but yeah, it's because if my dad just told me about it, I'd be more accepted and be more okay with it at the time. Do you, do you think... Well, I mean, it's not a nice situation to find yourself in, but everyone handles it in their own way and everyone has to move on in some sort of degree. But but imagine, 
right? I don't think it's the best way. I mean, well, I said earlier, everyone has their own way and there isn't necessarily a right or wrong. However, I said there is a better. I don't quite think he done it in the best possible way. However, I can't take anything away from him because, I mean... See, so I'm again. I'm going to play devil's advocate on this. Okay, I like do. Do I think it was handled perfectly? Absolutely not. No. But <laughs> now being a dad, yeah, your as much as your own happiness is important, the idea of hurting your child is beyond anything. Yeah. Right? Now put yourself in a situation where you're at the funeral directors to see your mum that's just died. Yeah. You bump into this woman... Who then becomes... Who then becomes something later down the line. Potentially. So when you bumped into him, how long after that was it the, the funeral happened? Must have been a couple of weeks, maybe. So you're talking a couple of weeks, right? So bear with me on this. And So in that couple of weeks... You don't know how serious things got, or no, and all about. he told me was like she's lost a parent or lost both parents, and is she's helping him cope and get through things. And yeah. immediately talking to her, she's got her own story, and yeah, she's been through the ringer. I'm not going to hold that against her because she has, but yeah, it's still like you can't justify that to me because I'm I'm a son, and like th- this is your you've just lost a wife, and you're getting someone to come help you with the loss of a parent because that's what she's been through. That makes sense. It it does, but grief and loss. You, although you don't you, like deal with them in the same way, like I mean, you will deal with it in a different way. Why is like why is the way in which your dad went about <laughs> it wrong? Okay, wrong's not... So you're saying that there's a better way of going around it. Yeah. So if you could have your idea, what would the ideal be? Look, there's no ideal way in the situation as such. However, I think better would have been him to be more open with me about everything. Because I'm not being funny, we went through such a traumatic thing together, we are bonded. They say trauma bonds. They say trauma bonds. Whether it be extreme high or extreme low, it bonds you together. So, so do you think it was more of a hurt because you almost felt lied? To yes. Okay. I, and I made okay. That, I that made makes that, more sense. I made that evident to him as well at the time. Um, okay. And then, how do you take that? Well, with the the fact that you said that he effectively lied to you. I don't think it really crossed his mind, to be honest. No. No. Shrugged it off. Yeah, just because okay. he's in such a defense mode. Yeah. Yeah. Because did it turn into an argument? It led to me and dad just going now and tonging each other off a time, to be honest. And it then led to me, my girlfriend at the time wanted to move out mm-hmm. anyway, prior to my passing. And then, I mean, I was at home. I was not happy with dad being here and this woman being here. And she didn't move in, but as in just her being around, I was like, oh, I'm not happy at home this time. It's my time to go make my own story, make my own life. Yeah, man. So come January next year, I then moved out with my girlfriend at the time. Um, didn't quite go as expected as I thought. Let's just put it out there <laughs> straight away. Um, over the next four months, I was basically abused by her physically and probably say emotionally as well, to be honest, because that does correlate. Um, wasn't anything that scarred me or bruised me. However, there's still the fact that your loved one that who's also bearing in mind went through this with me losing me mum 
And I'm not going to take anything away from her, by the way, because she was incredible at this time. She really supported me and let me emotions out. And she was really there for me. So, again, playing the advocate, you say that she was really supportive. So what, I appreciate if you don't rather not go into it, but what was it that made you think this isn't right? In the relationship? In, in the relationship, but also in terms of so I, I I'm always I'm always really careful when we talk about the word abuse. Yeah, like, of course, because it's labelling and such. Yeah. How, uh, however, like it's, it's it's black and white. Like the, the, what happened was physical abuse as you call it. It wasn't just a, like a one off. Okay. It was a recurring theme over a certain amount of time. What in terms? So, are you okay being yeah, open on, about on, this? This is an open podcast. All you'll get is open and honesty from me. And I think it'd be selfish for me not to share it because I hope someone out there. Well, I say hope. <laughs> I hope. So, <laughs> I hope someone's going through it. If you're going through this, I hope this gives you some yes. positivity that you can get through this. Absolutely. So, um, what what was the physicality then? I was pinned up against a wall. Okay. Hit a few times, three or four times. And and, I, and so just to put this in perspective, this person in question, although I didn't meet them, I know of them, they're not a particularly big person. No. So in terms of... Physicality and size. Physicality and size. I'm a lot bigger. Yes. So Stronger. So it's funny. Sorry, not funny. It's It's... Well, you, you would find it strange. You would find it strange that a woman yeah, of that man. size could hurt someone of a guy like me. And and but the the thing to recognise is this whole thing about like um, men again coming into men and women and not having the right to defend yourself. Yeah. Like ultimately, like you. And don't get me wrong. Like a, a man abusing a woman can end. Horrendously. Horrendously. Yeah, no doubt. But that doesn't mean that it can't end badly the opposite in way. your other way. Yeah, and I even spoke to my neighbour at the time afterwards about it. Um, and she was like, you were so cool and calm and like collected throughout. I could hear the shouting going on, the shouting matches. She's like, I can never almost hear you because you were just so calm and cool. Did it cross your mind to defend yourself? I I was always of the instinct, like, if it got to that point where it was, like, life or death and I'd have to do something, however... Life or death? Yeah. That that was the limit for you? Yeah. It was life or death? Yeah, like, if it was going to cause me, like, long-term harm or, like, life or death, then so, I'd, I'd have to step in and stop. But other than that, life, it was... So, that, like, sorry. I, I, it, it wasn't taking life or death. I was no, just no, 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 no. However, if it did got to that point, then that's when I'd have to step in and that's, do something. That's, that's what it I'm saying. It was more of, like, a... Whenever it happened, I step back, I put my hands up and I go, I just say to her, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not going to react. I'm I'm just going to stand here. That is that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lay a single finger on you at any point. I'm not going to throw anything back your way. I'm just going to stand here. And that is that. And I can honestly, from the bottom of my heart, that happened every single time. I didn't react once. And, and, you, and you know what? I have to, I have to commend you for that because I wouldn't be able to do that it'd be easy to just swing back and smack yeah, back because like, like the, the, the thing is is I, I'm too hot headed in terms of if someone hurt me I wouldn't swing for them no but you'd restrain at, them at, I'd, at, I'd grab them at, at one time it was like 
I get swung for and I'm like, I grab the hand to stop that yeah. from connecting as such. Yeah, yeah. Or like it just to be like trying like a, to diffuse the situation as such. Yeah. That's all it would be. Okay. At yeah. most. But most times I just stood back, put my hands up and just went, look, so, I'm not going to react. So, this is, I had like a keys thrown at me, I had a TV around the back, TV remote around the back of my head. I was hit three or four times. Like this, this happened not once, not twice, not three times, but quite a few times. Not at any point where I was bruised or like any any bruising or any like significant damage was done however the fact of that a loved one could hit you that was enough and the issue was we talk we talk about so openly on this and like if your partner annoyed you you go tell your mate about it do you know what i mean like they're not going to hold it against them oh they ate my chocolate bar out of the fridge the other night. <laughs> do you know what i mean like that really annoyed me but with this you couldn't tell anyone because if you go tell someone that your partner has smacked you they ain't going to react coolly. They ain't going to be like, they ain't going to forget that. So I had to deal with this in my, on, on my own, in essence. And it was that thing of I wanted to be a gentleman and just not give up because it was just in me to not just quit easy. And I was like, I want to help you get through this. I don't want to quit now. I don't want to quit easy because I could have quit a good quite a few weeks before I did split with her. I could have quit like two months before. But it just didn't sit right for me to do that. So I was like, I, was like, I can take you to the GP, I can get you counselling, I can, I can be there for you. I wouldn't come into the room with you. I'd take you to the waiting room and I'd sit there and wait and you can go in and deal with it yourself. But straight away, it's barriers up, not doing it. You have to come in with me. And even my friends that didn't see me much since I've come out of that relationship said, the ads is back. We've got our friend back. And that's when people that don't didn't see me often when I was with her they could just tell the difference of when I was with her and the difference now I'm a lot happier and I'm a lot better since so it was clearly something there that wasn't right because okay. it clearly affected me in a negative way again I'm going to sort of dig into quite a personal question now what's your feeling and emotion towards her nothing not a single feeling or emotion. No resent, no... Nothing. Okay. Obviously, I'm like, I'm not her biggest fan, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I've since seen... Do you feel sorry for her? Well... The, re the reason I ask is because she... I, like, I, I'm, I'm not saying you're lying at all. I, it's... it's uh, because I wasn't there. Obviously, this is all my word. Yeah, I was about to say. Believe, believe from this podcast and my story what you want. However, I'm just going to tell my story of how it 100%. is. 100%. Like, yep. honestly, I'm not expecting like people to go berate her and <laughs> give, a, give, a, give a hassle, be like, you're horrible, you're this, yeah. you're that. Believe what you want from this podcast. I'm just here merely to tell my story of things I've been through in the hope that whatever someone is going through, whether it's similar in this situation, you can find hope that you can move past this, you can get through this. And regardless of what situation you're in, there is light at the end of the tunnel and you will get through this. And I think that's a really important point to hit up there is you might be listening to this podcast and be the person that is the other side of yeah. that story. And us talking about this might make you recognise that you were a bit too forceful. Yeah. 
a couple of times and maybe you need to speak and it, it comes down to the whole thing speak to someone yeah like if you spoke to someone these situations do not happen yeah it's it's like ultimately like i i'm, I'm a massive advocate but i i know that i'm hot-headed like my, my my wife's seen me punch her hole into a wall from from losing at FIFA. Like she she knows we've got a hot head on me. This is honestly the open most open and realist podcast there is. By the way, like we ain't holding back here. Um, like and and it's little things. So like I I'm, I I do get angry and I do like it's something that I I really try and sort of hone back on. Like again, I whack my back of my head on a door and I punch the door and put a hole in the door. Yeah. Like, it, um, it, I recognise that and I have, and I have been talking through it. And anyway, back to, back to the original point, which is you're feeling an emotion towards that person. They, I would argue on, well, no, they, they, it's, it's not nice to say that like, they need help. However, I, in this situation, but like, I've acted out here, I probably should go and talk about that to try and puzzle some things together because these actions are not normal. I'm just going to put that out there straight away. And if this is coming from someone in mind who knows the power of talking, yeah. who's been in counselling for a good couple of years now, so I um, spoke to my... I'm going to shout her out, by the way, if she hit, listens to this, because I know she probably will. Penny, my counsellor, absolutely love you to pieces. You're an absolute <laughs> hero of mine, and I can't thank you enough. I've seen her a couple of years ago. She helped me get through some trauma of, of loss from grandparents. And then the second this happened again, I literally called my GP up. And I was like, Penny, get me her now. I need to talk to her because I need help. And she, I've been in counselling for, what... Um, quite a long time. <laughs> I, I reckon we should start hashtag be more like Penny. Be more like Penny. Hashtag be more like Penny. Love that. <laughs> um, yeah. Coming back to it. Bearing in mind, I bought a house for this person as well. So what runs through your head is I'm also £260,000 in debt at this point or 210000 whatever you want to call it, a deposit. Anyways, I'm like, this is such a financial burden. If I split with this person, I'm going to have to sell the house. So that runs through your head. But then I got to a point, I was like, I said this to Penny as well, probably about a year before this. Um, I was like, no matter where I am in life, whether I'm like a week down the line or a year down the line, or I've got kids this person or I've got a house, whatever. If I get to a point where my own self-worship dim diminishing, I will leave this person. Regardless of I've got kids, house, marriage, whatever. If my own self-worth and value is diminishing, I am not going to stay just because it's easy. And when I told... It's a lot when easier I, said than done. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But when I told Penny, she went, you did tell me this about a year ago that this... If this situation occurred, you would deal with it like this. <laughs> so, and I mean, it's been the best decision I've ever made. Um, my life since has taken off and the house is sold you know hey. <laughs> big celebration and cheers um, so anything's possible anything is possible no matter what situation you find yourself in anything's possible yeah. so going on the thought of anything's possible another reason that we're close is because we share a love for extremity <laughs> which sounds like it's some sort of bondage but i promise you it's yeah. not um in terms of interests in uh ultra sport yeah so not just doing a very tough 
sport, but by making it even tougher and trying to do that. Um, so to tell a little story, um, well, actually, first of all, I'll let Adam explain what he's going to be doing uh, in the middle of next year yeah. and in in what regard. Yeah, so um, my best friend, Liana, love her to bits again. Um, she came to me at the start of the year with an idea that she was going to run a marathon. I was like, oh, nice, that'd be, that'd be amazing. I mean, this girl, by the way, has had four knee operations, was like told that she wouldn't go to the gym again, she wouldn't run again, she wouldn't play football again, and she's training for a marathon. Like, what a mental accomplishment that is for someone that is at four knee ups. Anyway, she told me that she's running a marathon, and then next thing you know, it was, I'm doing it for your mum. And that was it. Flip was switched in me, and I was like, I'm doing this. If you're doing this, I'm in. And so next April, I'm running the Manchester Marathon, 26.2 miles for the Stars Appeal, specifically the Radnor Ward, which is the intensive care unit at Salisbury District Hospital, to raise some much-needed funds for the incredible people that work there that made my time in ICU with my mum special and cared for me and made that time a hell of a lot easier than it traumatically was. I'm not only just going to try and run this marathon, Obviously, I want to raise a lot of money for Stars Appeal because that is the end goal. Um, I will share the link to the donation page, by the way. Please get behind me. I've set myself a target. This is my first marathon, mind. I'm running it in three and a half hours. That's they, quite an achievement. They, it was said that 1% of people run a marathon in their lifetime, but mm -hmm. I think it's even less now since that was recently published. Mm. And then I was looking into times of how many people run a four-hour marathon. Mm -hmm. I started training for a four-hour marathon. I was like, nah, let's push yourself. Three and a half hours. Mm. First marathon. Why, yeah, why not? And my, I've got this thing in my mind where if someone tells me I can't do it, I'm going to show them. I'm going to watch me. My ex-partner told me that, I said to her at the time, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. She's like, yeah, you'll run a marathon because you've got that mentality. I'm doing it in three and a half hours. You can't. And I went, watch me. <laughs> so, yeah, big shout out to her for that. So that's a nice drive. Um, and we are then, after, going to be running a 50-mile run across Salisbury Plain, mm -hmm. ultra marathon. And then... We're going to be doing the David Goggins 100 miles in 24 hours later in the year if we qualify. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so back to where I was talking before uh, Ads introduced his marathon. Um, we, so I, I'm, I'm probably more the runner out of the two of us, like historically. Yeah, but I've, I've done a 10k race and that was it. <laughs> um, but I have put on a fair amount of weight since having my son and since getting married uh, last year or just over a year ago um, and have found it really difficult to get back into it. I've done two ultramarathons before. Uh, no, th uh, yeah, two, two ultramarathons. So I did David Goggins 4448 and I did uh, an, an adaptation of 4448, which was a further one, which was 5575. Do you want to explain just what that is for people that aren't running? Yeah, so 4448 is basically you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So Crazy. you effectively do it sleep deprived. I love um, my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, 
and 5575 is the same principle but you do five miles over five hours for 75 hours so effectively three days that you so you're running most of that sleep deprived which yeah. is tough it's it's not nice and the thing is is like people might think with um 5575 that like you get five hours rest in between but in actual fact you don't get anywhere near that because you've got to get in you've got to get showered otherwise you're going to get fucking chafed sorry <laughs> you're going to get chafed you also got to refuel for the next run yep and then you've got to um, try and get yourself to sleep yeah so you're probably talking that you get sort of three and a half four hours at a time um, over th- over three days um, now 4448 was a, a bit of a different beast because it that sleep deprivation is very hard hitting because you get nothing. Yeah. But because you're only, if, if you time it right, you're actually only doing it over sort of like a night and a bit. Yeah. So it's not as long lasting as 5575. Sleep deprivation, by the way, is awful. So when I was in ICU last year, I didn't sleep for 40 hours straight and it got to the point where I started hallucinating. Yeah, My right. friends were like, mate, get some sleep. I was like, ah, oh, fine five minutes sleep I had and I woke up and I was like right time to go seven eight hours they're like you've been asleep for five minutes and I was like, ah, okay um, got so bad I told a bollard to do one thinking it was a person flipping me off <laughs> um, so yeah anyway uh, I had heard obviously what was that what happened to Adam's mum um, and had seen that he was training or wanting to do this marathon so I got in contact with him and well, like, we worked together um so I sort of said to him, oh, do you, do you want to do a bit of training together? And he said, oh, yeah, go on then, why not? And um, so <laughs> me, me trying to prove a point, uh, I said, to him, oh, let's, let's go and do a 15-miler. Bearing in mind that I hadn't ran in about six months before this. And I was absolutely hanging out. I so think I was, I've been training for about nine months at this point, so I had like quite a few miles behind me. Yeah, <laughs> you're, 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 being, you're being modest, mate. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I uh, I took him on this 15 mile, <laughs> and, and to be fair, the first half, the half marathon point was we, fine. Yeah, we smashed that. It was um, the last three miles. Isn't it? Right? <laughs> I was like, why, why is Mike not talking to me? I'm trying to have come. Have I done something to him to annoy him? There's uh, yeah. anyone that knows me properly knows that when I, when I'm in serious pain i'll just go incredibly quiet if any runners out there know the brick wall mike hit that <laughs> he just hit one brick wall we hit about 20 <laughs> but still kept going yeah um, you still kept going we finished it yeah and uh but anyway so we decided that adam would do his marathon and then we would try and push to do the salisbury 50 miler um and we're going to try with this podcast to try and get a little bit of a following for that see if we can get some people up on salisbury playing to give us a shout um it's also my birthday weekend as well so if there's any excuse it's literally on the 8th of june which is crazy by the way because that's the date that my mum everything happened with my mum so you heard that since it's his birthday he's gonna have to do a shot for every mile he goes 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 round and that's about four miles (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah and uh, like uh, we'll talk about it another time but there's where ads is going to be raising money for stars appeal um i'm going to do it on sort of like a triple venture we'll go into more detail on what that triple venture is one of them being the stars appeal as well and i'll go into detail as to why that is in, in the next one but uh yeah so There'll be lots of information coming out after these these podcasts air. Um, 
but yeah, so we're we're looking to do the fifty miler, and then we're looking to do the hundred miler in twenty four hours. So we're going to do it. Is it the North Downs Way or the South yeah, Downs Way? One of the two. I can't, I can't remember. remember exactly. Um, but. Yeah, uh, but you have to qualify. So um, no, that's why we're doing the fifty <laughs> to qualify for the hundred. But the fifty is being classed as my recovery run from my marathon and also my preparation run for the hundred. So yeah. It's going to be interesting. But um, you introduced me to Ruth Barker, yes. who has been training with me for the past sort of couple of, well, past few months and training with you as well. Big shout out to Ruth, by the way, because I went for a run with her tonight, an hour before we're doing this, and another level. There's levels to this game, and she, she's an animal, mate. I just, yeah, like you finish your run and she just go run up a hill just because she can. She's a beast. Yeah. Um, um, big shout out to her, though. I can't thank her enough for all she's doing for me. She's literally been running with me. She's doing my marathon plan for me. She's been lending me kit to you. She's been suggesting kit for me to get, giving me loads and loads of advice. So big up to Ruth because, yeah, I've got so much time for that woman. And, I mean, she's doing like a 50K or something just prior to the marathon, so it makes sense anyway. But, yeah, she's helped me out so much. So thank you to you as well for introducing me to her. Sign she, yourself for great people. She's also probably one of the most positive people that I've ever come across. Yeah. She, in, what have I known her for? Two years? In two years, I've only ever heard her <laughs> grumble once. Yeah. And it was a, a run at about five o'clock in the morning. And the day before, she'd had an awful day at work. Um, and things just, just like spiralled for her, bless her. And even then, at the end of it, she went, Typical, well, someone's always got it worse than me, <laughs> uh, as she was pounding up a hill. But, um, yeah, so shout-out to Rochi's quality. Um, but, yeah, there's this, there's this correlation between, like, trauma and, like, ultra running. Like, it's a genuine thing. But one point I will touch on is, like, the most successful people in this world are often the most broken, the most, or have been through the most traumatic things. And I think there's a real correlation. And for me... There's no amount of pain in this training that I could go through that will even come close to what my mum went through last year to try and hang on for me and my dad. So that's just such a big driving force. There's absolutely nothing that's going to get in my way for these events. There's no amount of pain that I'll put myself through for it because I just know I want this. I I, I want this. Simple I, as that. I want to touch on the brutal honesty part, though, is that, like, we, we say this about your determination to get there, but we've we've hit a couple of roadblocks where your motivation has dropped quite oh, considerably. Massively. Um, and it's important to, to highlight that because people hear and see the success story on Instagram, on stories or whatever. What they don't see is that time that you go... I'm I'm really not up for it. It's like the other week I went out for a run with Ruth. We did a hill session. It was like half five in the morning. It's absolutely lashing it down. It was honestly like a tsunami coming down the hill. <laughs> Who wants to wake up at half, uh, like five o'clock in the morning to go run up and down a hill, which is so steep, chasing Ruth up a bit? When it's <laughs> just like a whip it. <laughs> when it's just chucking it down in the dark. Who wants to do that? And as people say to me all the time, how are you so motivated? I'm not. I'm just disciplined and driven. Just get up and get it done. And and, and and the thing is, is like once you uh, there's a old thing that's like um, you have to do something twenty times for it to become a habit. So I've started doing something where I make sure that I get up at five o'clock every morning, and I've done that twenty times. Okay, it's not a case of 
I get up at five o'clock every morning without my alarm. I still need my alarm, yeah. but it's so much easier. Yeah, and it's it's just discipline. It's just getting it done. As I touched on the point earlier, like it's okay to feel emotion. It's okay to feel sad. Get it done. Like still carry on. As simple as that. It really is. Is like I'm not motivated all the time. I don't want to train all the time. I don't want to run gym sauna like every day. I don't. It's tiring. It's hard work, but. I'm disciplined and I've got what helps is having this drive behind it admittedly but it's getting it done so to wrap up I'm going to touch on your aspirations so what you really want from life we've we've discussed it off the podcast what does Adam Awell see as his ultimate success that's a very good question that's a tough one I want to inspire and help as many people as humanly possible I want to I want public speaking to take off for me I've done it four times now um, with the Phoenix Stars are in the year showcase um, got a couple of opportunities coming up which you'll see soon hopefully um, I want to try and inspire as many people as possible and give people the hope that you can get through it. It's um uh, heard Inky Johnson say he went to he's been for quite a bit of trauma, um quite an Instagram famous person and um, went to this group of people and the guy said to him, You're selfish and he was like, What? You've never met me before. I was like, I'm one of the most selfless people there is. So no, you're selfish for not sharing your story with others because there's someone out there that's looking for one bit of hope and you by you sharing your story it's gonna help him or help her. But the, I want public speaking to take off of me. So if there's any opportunities out there, please get in touch with me. Um, I'll put all my details. There'll be details in the podcast, Instagram. Um, yeah, I just want to help people because I've been through quite a lot of trauma. I'm, I know what it feels like. It's not good. It's not fun. And if I can help someone get through their worst day, then yeah, this is why we're here to make a difference. Simple as that. What a perfect way to end it.